Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are spending a lot of time this year in the Gospel of Luke, and we are still in this now. Um, And what we love to do around here most of the time is just open up the Word and dive into a passage that may seem familiar if you're someone who's been reading your Bibles for a long time, but we just like to sit in each portion of this teaching because we want to sit under the teaching of Jesus himself and be formed by the words and the actions of of the Lord Jesus. But what I want to do, usually we're just going to dive right in, but I have to take a brief pause here because you'll be noticing last week Jade taught us um, from the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to be teaching some parables uh, in a, for a little while. So I wanted to start out before we dive into this very weird story and talk a little bit about parables. We're in a series of a few of them. So let's talk about what this form of storytelling is, okay? How they work, what they are, because they're a little bit different. So in our own language, in our own culture, there are some things when we start to talk that give you clues as to what is happening, what we're talking about. For example, if I approach you and say, knock, knock, you know what's about to come. You're going to answer me who's there. You've got the mindset that we're not going deep and you want to figure it out before I get to my punchline. You know what's coming. If I say a puzzle question, sometimes a rhyme or something, like if I approach you and say, what's black and white and red all over? Do you guys know? Thank you. Okay, you know that one. That's from when I was a kid, so that dates that. But you know what's happening, right? You know I'm asking you a puzzle, and you need to figure out what the answer is. It's a riddle. And additionally, if I walk up to you and say, I was walking on the beach and I saw a unicorn talking to a mermaid, you would think I was nuts. But the second that I say, once upon a time, I was walking on the beach and I saw a mermaid talking to a unicorn, you're like, I'm in. We're going to get a moral lesson. There's going to be a happy ending. I know exactly what's coming. So I was an English literature major, and we would talk about this, how literally your rules for what's acceptable shift in your brain the second that you hear once upon a time, and you know what's going to come. Now, our days, they always have a happy ending. But those of you who have ever read, like, the Brothers Grimm and stuff know that these were to teach scary moral lessons to kids. Don't cry wolf when you don't mean it or no one will believe you. Don't run off away from your parents or you'll get lost in the woods and a lady in a candy house is going to eat you. Like, these were scary stories to teach a moral lesson. And you know, as soon as I say once upon a time, that there's a teaching to come. And all of these indicators tell you what type of story or encounter you're about to engage in, right? Your brain switches and you know what you're expecting. The same thing is true with parables, but they're a different category than any of the ones that I just listed. When I talk about them from here, when we're teaching on a parable, I'll often use the quick definition that a parable is just a fancy word for a story that Jesus uses to teach a deeper spiritual meaning. It's not the same as a direct moral lesson like we would maybe expect from a fairy tale, as we'll see. They have some key indicators. So, for example, um, there'll, there'll be some things like, in a certain town, there was an unjust judge and a widow. That's in Luke 18. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Um, 
So like there's no names, vague time, vague place, doesn't matter. And you get the mindset, like once upon a time, we're in a parable now. In the last week, right, there was a man who had two sons. Same thing, you kind of get to know this is what's happening. It's an indicator that we're learning from this unique story. Now the problem, here's where I'm going with all this. The problem for myself is that sometimes I can think that a parable is somewhere between a fairy tale and a riddle. Like it's gonna teach me a moral lesson and I need to do the riddle job of figuring out who I'm supposed to be or who I'm very much not supposed to be in this story. And have you ever gotten through one and then like read later and Jesus says something and you're like, oh, I got it wrong. You know, like that's the riddle puzzle part, right? So for example, some are super clear. A farmer scattered his seed on four kinds of soil. I wanna be the fertile soil. I know that one. And it's clear, like what exactly? It's kind of like a linear, clear thing. But some feel like this one. A shrewd manager who cheats his corrupt boss and gets praised for it. Now, how many in the room have ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? Okay, good. I was hoping some of you would know. You guys remember um, Marlon is like the rule-abiding kind of you know, not very worldly scared dad. And he's with Dory trying to find Nemo and they're riding on the back of that big turtle and they need to jump. And you remember that cute little turtle squirt starts to giving them jump instructions, how to jump out of the jet stream or whatever that's called. Anyway, he's adorable, but he's speaking surfer dude. Do you remember this? And he gives him instructions on how to jump. And Marlon sits there and he says, I had to look it up because I think it's trying to speak to me. You're really cute, but I have no idea what you're saying. Start again from the beginning. And that's sometimes what I feel like when you read something like this, you're kind of like, whoa, Jesus, you're really good. And I know you're trying to tell me something, but I have no idea what you're saying. Am I supposed to be the shrewd manager or the corrupt boss or the, am I cheating? What? Or what are you trying to say? To Start again, Jesus. Start back at the beginning and tell me what it means. This one is the weirdest parable if, if we've mistakenly think, thought that parables are cloaked moral lessons with a puzzle to figure them out. Somewhere between that riddle and fairy tale, right? You're just going to be at a loss with this one. Actually, one of the commentators I read said, if you're studying parables and you don't want to just think that they're cute little moral lessons, you should start your study with parables with this one because you can't get it confused. There's no way that you can think that there's a moral lesson direct from these. So, however, it is a parable because Jesus does use it to teach a deeper spiritual truth. It's an important path to that truth, but there's no moral winner, no right one to follow. So we're gonna look at this parable and then get to the teaching coming out of it. So starting in 16 verse one, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. So wealthy people had managers or stewards some of your uh, translators uh, translations will say these people would act on their behalf and their decision carried full authority on behalf of the, the person who owned the property so they had full authority over the estate and possessions and so they would make deals or uh, negotiate terms with the tenants um, on their behalf and those decisions, whatever that person decided would stand. This one has been caught mishandling resources and has been told to give an account because he's getting fired. That's happening. 
So back to verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Notice he doesn't fight the charges, you guys. He totally did the thing. He's not saying, no, 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 give me a second chance, or I didn't do it. Let me prove myself. Nope. He's like, ooh, this is happening. Probably deserve that. What am I going to do to get ready? The end is coming. What can I do with the resources I have at my disposal for this little bit longer to just secure for myself favor, friendship, hospitality after I'm fired? So in verse 5, he called each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe the master? He says, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. He does this twice, right? He reduces the bill. And remember, that decision will stand So the manager is fudging the books. That is what he's doing with full authority. Why? It's so that the debtors will owe him in the system of reciprocity or payback. Like you scratch my back, I scratch yours. In this culture, that was like a measurable system of reciprocity. So he is now knowing they will owe me and I can cash in on that once I've been fired. Here's a quick question that I want us to consider about the master. Why are the debts in oil and in wheat? So it's interesting. Some people say, like, maybe the manager decides to cancel this because the generosity would have been attributed to him and he doesn't want to lose face. But I don't think so, and a lot of the commentators agree. So if you look at the master, it actually looks like he's acting a bit shady as well. Old Testament law forbade Jews from charging interest on loans to one another. And so what people would do to get around that system is they would charge interest in kind, meaning like, well, you maybe not money, but you can pay me the interest in olive oil or in wheat or something like that. It would be a way to sort of get around it. And so what I think, and other commentators, it's not just me, what I think is happening here is that the owner of the property can't go back and correct the amounts or say, hey, fraud, you actually owe me more, because it would be admitting to the fact that he was using this kind of not exactly above reproach technique to basically charge interest. Now, we don't know that for sure, but here's the thing that makes me think that. When he says, well done, and commends him, I think this is two shrewd business people being like, you got me. I can't do anything about it. That was actually a really smooth move, and I'm stuck. Well done. That's one sharp, shrewd mind in the world acknowledging having been bested by another good mind. So that's what I think is happening in this moment. But in either case, whether it's just that the the owner just um, doesn't want to be embarrassed by asking for it back, whatever the reason is, here's something to notice. The master knows that this guy acted shrewdly. He knows it because he commends it, but he still fires him. So his commendation, his well done, whatever, commending him for being shrewd does not lead to redemption. It's not a redemptive commending, well done, I will reinstate you. No, Jesus' language makes it clear that he's still, the end is still coming. But he, and so he refers he's going to be gone, but He has access to this resource now, and he acted shrewdly while he still had it. Starting back in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So you acted shrewdly, well done, but you're still out of here, right? So in other parables, this is the thing that I think feels weird. I feel a little bit like Marlon who wants to say, like, I know you're trying to tell me something, but all these guys seem pretty bad in this story, right? In other parables, we're used to God being sort of directly as the master. He's the one who owns the vineyard. He's the one who, you know, directs the, um, the servants who are waiting faithfully for his return, things like that. And so this is a little bit different. Wait, so God, who's maybe being tricky here to begin with, is commending me if I cheat with my money? No. We can't believe that. That's why we start with this parable. That would go against all the other teaching of Jesus in the scripture. And scripture informs scripture. That's why we check any verse that we cannot misuse it by making sure that what we're teaching on it is in line with what the canon, the fullness of the Bible would teach. So the fullness of our Bible would not let us think that this is really about how to be cheat on our taxes or something. We know that's not it. We cannot reduce these parables to moral lessons that are riddle puzzles, right? So if he's not exactly commending him for his dishonesty, the guy is still being fired. And he's not exactly commending him for cheating because the the master just got a super bad deal out of this. So it's not like he's excited about it. But what's being commended is initiative and foresight for shrewdly, creatively, craftily using the resources that he had, even at the owner's expense. Remembering parables don't like a fairy tale right? Like the mermaid and unicorn, they don't need to follow how people would actually act in a situation because they're a different category of story, right? So he acted with initiative and foresight in the moment where the end was near. That's what Jesus uses to highlight this. And so Jesus uses this now as a springboard, basically saying, if this is the way the world works, and we're all nodding our head being like, yep, sounds like some crafty business deals that I wouldn't be surprised about. We would believe that then how does that springboard us to something that has to do with this initiative and foresight? We have a couple of little spiritual hints we can see, implications of where Jesus is heading, from how the world works to what the disciples should learn. Here's what we see. Number one, it's clear in this story, the end is coming, right? It cannot be stopped, and the manager knows it. It sounds like something that the disciples would be able to quickly translate to being people who know there is a kingdom to come. There is more to come. There is an end to this life, to this world. And God's kingdom, which they knew was still to come, they are are heaven-minded people. They are future kingdom-minded people. So that is sort of like a whisper or a hint of like what a parallel would be in this story, right? There is an end coming that cannot be stopped. And we're talking about wealth and access to resources and how to use it in the time that we have. So for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. People of the world being the manager and the secular setting. Look at how he gets it that the end is coming and that I should be creative and use initiative and foresight with what I have because the end is near. How much more should the people of light The disciples, the people who know the truth of God, how much more should we learn about our heart posture towards money? So how much more should we who follow Jesus? We in this moment would be easily reminded, remember it's not always like, 
a full week between Sundays, and sometimes we summer travel, so maybe we're only listening to this once, you know, once a month or twice a month or something. Remember, the people who are following Jesus have been hearing the fullness of his teaching together. So we would easily be reminded that Jesus taught, just uh, as recorded in Luke 12, 13, provide for yourselves treasure in heaven that will never fail or shall not decay is the translation from our uh, generosity creed. Provide for yourself treasure that will never fail. So we know this is not about commending either of these two for corrupt practices. They're the hook. They're the teaching hook to shock into saying like, here's the transition, let's springboard to a spiritual implication. It's picking up in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So we now get it. We're talking about worldly wealth, and now how do we transition to being trusted with true riches? If the children of the world understand how the world works and how to use it to their benefit, why do children of the light not understand the way of the kingdom of God that is to come and live postured for what is to come? That is our posture as children of the light, treasure that will never fail. That's an eternal mindset that Jesus is starting to teach about. This is a parable about stewardship. Like the steward, all that we have is no more than temporary management, and we've been given notice. That's the parallel springboard that's coming. There is an inevitable end, and children of light should know that more than anyone else because we're looking forward to that thing that is to come. That's not a firing. This is a celebration to the children of light. But lest we think this means trick your way into heaven or anything like that, it does not. Jesus clarifies with the teaching. This isn't like trick your way into heaven through financial means, like I'm going to gain hospitality by reducing your... Like, no, no, no. Jesus is very clear that he's talking about treasures in heaven, true riches, spiritual riches. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 records, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are treasures in heaven? Spiritual riches, true riches, whichever the wording is from these different teachings on money. I believe it has to do with living here and now with an awareness of the fullness of what's to come. And because of that, living in kingdom economy now. There's a heart posture of living in the kingdom economy now. So we don't get to truly know exactly what spiritual riches are. I don't think that's the point. They will belong to us in a way that money cannot. We can't take money, time, talent with us per se, but Everything that will come to an end opens up in these verses that really are about faithfulness. It isn't about possession at all. It's about things that are entrusted to us in the here and now. What's been entrusted to be used for God's glory, for God's purposes and not for our own. So how do we steward the things entrusted to us faithfully now? The answer has to be with like spiritual wisdom, seeking first the kingdom of God so that we can be um, alert in the world that we live in now. 
in the passage where Jesus teaches quite familiar, like don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Like don't worry about all of these things. And he follows this teaching up by saying, you know, he talks about the birds of the, the birds of the field having the food they need, the flowers being more beautifully dressed, all of that. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things, those, those physical things that you're worrying about, right? They'll be giving to you as well. But it's really important whenever church talk starts about money, it's really important that we're careful here because it, none of this means that money is bad. Do you know what I mean? I try to say this regularly. It's not good or bad. Like if you look at it, it's like a tool. It's a tool for commerce in the world that we live in. Oh my gosh, I was just, I don't know, this is random, literally just popped in my head. I was so, I just did that trip to Turkey and Greece, and I had dollars, lira, and euros in my little tiny pouch, and I was pulling out the wrong one all the time, very, like, very American of me, you guys. It was super embarrassing. I tried to do it before the exchange, but like once or twice, I got a, that's the wrong one. Anyway, but that's just like a reminder. It, it's all tools. It means nothing in a different context. You know, it's a tool for the context that you're in. Um, okay, wait, where was I actually? It's not, uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what is God's, Mark 12, 17. It's a tool. It's fine. It's a thing we use. That's all. Jesus is after the heart posture towards this tool. And that's the clear place where this teaching takes us. 13, no one can serve two masters. That means your heart posture, where your heart is prone to serve, to worship even. But that's a heart posture thing. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is not saying money is bad. He's not saying you can't use money. It's a tool to buy groceries to pay your electric bill, and we all need air conditioning, or we love air conditioning at least, it's a tool. He's talking about serving money, meaning like having money as your master, which means you are its willing servant. That's what Jesus is poking our hearts to consider. What Jesus wants is for this tool, this thing, money, to be held in the right way by those who are committed to serving God. We've chosen who we're going to serve. We are choosing to serve God, and therefore we are not going to allow ourselves to serve money. If I serve God, I am a steward of resources. This resource, any resource, time, stuff I have, all of it. I am not a servant of the resource. I am a steward of the resource. I am a servant of God, and I happen to hold this resource entrusted to me for now. That's what Jesus is getting at. So what do we do with this? You guys, this is one of those passages that I think is just a good old-fashioned heart check by Jesus. I want us to pause a minute and be willing to just self-check, because here's the thing. This is a conversation that's really hard for others to see if your heart's out of whack. There are other things, like if I have a fit of rage right now, you as my friends, as my community, could be like, Melissa, I think you need a heart check because something just came out of your mouth that doesn't seem like real, you know, like that. there's certain stuff that spills out, you can see and we can help each other with. There are other things, I think money often falls in this category where it really has to be largely a self-check because you may not see how I'm how I'm holding um, my relationship with this tool, right? So I'm just gonna boldly ask you guys to be willing. Let's just do it. Let's, let's just be willing. And if there's a conviction here, here's the other thing. This isn't like a 
preachy, get us to all feel condemned and shamed. Like, we don't operate that way because let's just pretend that I say something and you're like, ooh, that might be me. That doesn't feel good. That's beautiful, you guys. That's a holy conviction. And we have to be convicted of it to bring it forward and we get healed. It's such an amazing system. And Jesus forgives us on the spot. But it's so hard when we don't know that our heart has gotten out of whack. It happens slowly, doesn't it? It's not like one day I'm like way off on the rails over here. It's this slow moment where all of a sudden a word can make me think like I'm actually, I'm actually obsessing a little bit about this resource. You know what I mean? So if conviction comes, there's no shame in the name of Jesus. There is healing and freedom. And that's what Jesus is after, not shame. Let's see it so we can find freedom from this enslaving chain. So, Lord, search our hearts, Psalm 169, or 139. Let's search our hearts and honestly be willing. This isn't Jesus setting some new rule. There's no hard and fast line. Heart checks are hard that way. But if we want freedom, we're going to just do this, okay? We're going to do a heart check, and it's totally safe. Here's my caveat, and this is a very important note, you guys. This heart check is not for you if you are in a place of not having the resources to meet your basic needs. I tell you right now, I have lived such a blessed life. I have never wondered if I would have enough food to make it. I've never experienced that. If you are unsure where your next meal can come from, if you've lived in a history of not being sure, that is a cumulative trauma and your posture towards resources is needing a different kind of healing because you've been traumatized. So please hear me now. I want you to self-select out of the heart check if you do not have the resources for your basic needs to be met Community is here for that. We have something called the Barnabas Fund we have, that is to give to people to meet their needs within this community. We have people here who will help for free counsel you on creating a budget, help with how to do an interview or a resume, like whatever. We have people who can help self-select out if this kind of talk is rooted to any kind of trauma related to living a life of lack and know that we are committed as a community to meet the basic needs, Acts 2, read Acts 2. Let us meet those needs. If you are in this camp, we're now self-selecting out, except to know to come to a pastor, to a greeter, to a prayer person, to an elder, and like, let's talk, because nobody should be in want. Okay, that whole caveat, we're all good on that. For the rest of us, myself included, we're just going to do a heart check, and it's okay. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a good thing. So, considering this parable and the teaching following it, what has Jesus provided to consider as a heart check? I'm going to propose three things that are good for us to check in light of this parable. Number one, how does that concept of stewardship sit with you? Jesus goes on to draw. Um, from this parable, this idea of stewardship, and it's a really common Old Testament known concept that sometimes can get lost on our modern ears. The Old Testament people of God knew all of the language was everything is God's. 
We are stewards of what we've been given. And a huge emphasis, by the way, was given on provision for community, watching out for the, the, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner among you, right? So the concept, it all belongs to Yahweh, and we're accountable to how we use it, and it's huge focus on community. That's the idea of stewardship that would have been normal in the Old Testament. And the question for us now is, when you hear this like manager or steward concept, how does that sit with you? Sorry, two movie references in one sermon. It, it doesn't usually happen this way. I'm actually not a movie buff. But you guys remember Gollum in Lord of the Rings who would like hold onto his treasure and be like, my precious. That's the opposite of the heart. Like, do you, but you have to be honest. Is it kind of like, no, I'm not a steward. It is mine. Is it that? Or are you willing to say like, yeah, no, I'm okay to be like this. I'm just holding it for now. How should I use it? God, like, wait, wait, think about Gollum and then the complete opposite. And where are you in the spectrum? It's okay to be anywhere on the spectrum, but you need to know. You need to know where you are on the spectrum when you think about this concept of stewardship and how does it sit with your heart. And let me be clear. I don't mean like, it's all fine. That doesn't mean let it all go. It doesn't mean like, yay, it's gone, I don't need, I'm not saying being unwise, it's a resource, it's a tool, right? I'm not saying let it all go. It does mean if you hold something as a steward, you are knowing that all that you have is provided from God and that you want to have a posture um, of generosity in response of the things that you are holding. That's why we use that language weekly in our call to generosity, right? It's the everything's from God and we just want to hold it with generous hearts because that helps us not to get into the precious mode, right? It's just, it, think of it literally as a, as a posture um, on this concept of being a steward. See how that sits with us. Another thing I think is good for a heart check is our parable here highlights the reminder that an end is coming and a future reality is still out there. And for those who call Jesus Lord, that's a beautiful picture of God's kingdom in heaven. That's a glorious, wonderful truth. But this parable is highlighting that as a truth. I have resources entrusted to me now and it will come to an end. How can I live with initiative and foresight where I am now while it's still in my care? That's, that's, the, that's the part that's like the steward. While I have access, how do I act with initiative and foresight? And I refer to this verse a lot because I think it's really true to be followers of Jesus. I want us to live, as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, with eternity written on our hearts. I think we're hardwired with eternity written on our hearts. So what that means in this conversation is living kingdom economy now. How do we do this? Living like this isn't the end of our story. That's what that reminder tells us. Our truest treasures are far beyond our bank accounts and living in that economy now. So that's, that's one of the other heart checks that's good for us to kind of measure in our own selves. And then lastly, I would say we, just, we can go ahead and wrestle with the question about serving two masters. The fact is, one of the, once these masters of God and wealth have been handed to us or shown to us by Jesus, right, as he's teaching, we've got these two masters. You can't serve both. Once we see these clearly identified, it's clear to us who have been listening to the teachings of Jesus, we can't serve them both because they're so opposed in form of service and value and all of this. It, just, it wouldn't work um, to actually serve them both. So how do you hold on to this tool and use it without letting it control you.
Andy and I talked about this for a while yesterday. He gets forced into sermon prep against his will sometimes. He was trapped in the car with me for like an hour and a half. And I was like, how do you even heart check this thing? What are the questions? What are the, the things that you ask to see if the slippery slope has happened? How do you gauge it? And it was hard. There's not like a clear question. That's what I mean by some of this being so e- internal that it can be hard. But I, I give you a couple of thoughts. Again, non-condemnation, but in conviction conviction to see if there's a place where healing and freedom can come. So think about this. How much of my time, my energy, my mind space does does money control? And I might like to think that like, no, 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 I'm just thinking about it. But I, I want you to like ask, be, it's okay. Like, is it creeping in when you didn't ask it in? I'm not saying don't sit and have the time and balance your bank account and make wise decisions, do those things. But like, is it creeping in when you didn't invite it? Are you, are you saying no to some beautiful things because you're so busy with the money thing? Do you know what I mean? So just, just sort of, just check that a little bit. Is there control there? that you didn't realize had gone from your active thought to it having a control. Another one I would give you, so that's a control question. Another one I would ask you about is the the word enough. Because enough is an ill-defined and elusive goal, financially speaking, and in terms of a lot of other things. I'm gonna say that again, is ill-defined and it's elusive. What I mean by that is as soon as my first enough is hit, that bar has already gone to some new space and there is no such enough for this sense that money wants us to chase after an elusive enough and if there's ever enough. And so I just do, are you always raising the bar to the next enough and there's never a moment of peace therefore in your heart? You know what I mean? So watch, watch the self-messages for enough. And then the last one um, that I would give you to just consider about is if only. If only. Do I equate money to freedom and live in the mindset of if only, if only I had whatever the resource is, the money number, the thing, the whatever. If only I had blank, then I could blank and then I'd be content. Also one that is always being chased after because there's always a next if only. Is the if only coming in? Uh, uh, And if any of these things are the case, you guys, this again is my goal, is that as we try to be formed as people who understand an end is near and a heart posture is one of being stewards, there's so much freedom in that because any of these signs don't make money bad, it don't make you bad. You guys, it's just a little hint that you might be shackled by something you never meant to sign up to. Something you never meant to sign up to serve. And it's our goal that if that's the case, that in Jesus' name there'd be freedom on the other side. Because as you serve the one who we call Lord, this other stuff falls away and freedom is found. Those shackles are released and that whole line about not just living life, but living life abundantly actually comes true. And it's not about a number in a bank account. That's not the abundance Jesus promises us. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm actually going to, um, 
I'm, I'm going to pray over us for a couple of very specific things. And so wherever you are, if you're in a place that you just self-selected out of that whole thing, please come find us. Let us see how we can support you, help you, all of that. But if you were in a place that you were willing to do the heart check, I want to pray for wholeness and healing and fruit to come from the willingness to be in a church and talk about money. All right, already you guys like got extra credit points. I'm kidding, in heaven. That was a bad joke. Treasure in heaven is not like that. Um, but you already did because people get super squirmy with talking. And I don't think we should. This is family talk. Money is one more tool in our resources that we have at our disposal. And we want to be shaped by Jesus. And Jesus wants us to talk. Jesus talked about money second only to the kingdom of God, you guys. It's a really big deal for us to be able to talk about this really. So if I could ask you if you'd be willing to just like, I, I don't know, just open your hands if you're willing to sit under this prayer and trust that, that there's, there's something that, that the Holy Spirit is doing. God, we thank you that you are here as we are gathered in your name. Jesus, you are king. And those of us who call you Lord, declare with our lips that we serve you first. And we pray that you would help to bring all other truths behind that first truth. If anything in this morning feels like a tug at our hearts of conviction, God, and we don't know where to turn, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would help to form our words, to lead us to prayers that would speak the truth even before we feel it, that you are Lord, and we are not signing up to serve any other resource or any other idol. Whatever it is, that Jesus, you are our Lord. Let our lips declare it first so our hearts can come into line. And when we look at the tools that you've given us, our bodies, the space we're in, our money, our um, uh, extra meal from the leftovers, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, God, posture our hearts to be receptive to you, to your promptings, to your leading, that we may live in a kingdom economy now. Guard our hearts, guide our hearts, speak wisdom in how we use all of our resources and know that it's yours. Help us to be postured, to respond, to be wise in all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.